da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. It is mid-summer, so it's time to talk about oh. mid-summer. Get it? <laughs> dude, dude, I thought of that like three and a half weeks ago, and we're just now doing this episode. You're killing of it. I, I was checking on Twitter to make sure no one else used the joke. No, I don't, I don't think anyone has. So There's um, no way they can think of that. Yeah. Um, it's finally uh, time to talk about this movie. I noted that it, it did. It came out a while ago, but um, we've uh, had a lot of other movies that have come out that take precedent in terms of um, winning the weekend and such. So Men in Black International had to be discussed. It really did. Everyone's better for it, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But Man. here we are. Um, finally, Richard and I talking about this brian is hiding in under his pillow with his door closed with uh multiple chain locks and he has the club on his door remember the club where you'd put it on your car steering wheel he has one yeah. of those that's uh, one of my big um i'm actually going to silicon valley next week to pitch my new company idea it's the club but as a service Oh, oh! So, so you somebody to- yeah somebody comes and puts a club on your car <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah that's that's that really convenient yeah, I think it's a, I mean, I'm just trying to disrupt that club space. Yeah. How many times have you <laughs> pulled into your local sporting card store and mm-hmm. like, man, I really need to club my car. So right. no one but you steals don't wanna, it, but you don't, you don't want to buy, have to buy one. You don't want that thing bumping around your back seat. Yeah. So, and if, you know, if you could Are have an any, app that well, a guy this on prime day, do you think there's any club sales on Amazon prime for today? I would be willing to bet there is, um, but you no one wants to buy the club again. Have it in your trunk, like you said. I mean, you just right. get, get pull up the app, wait forty to fifty minutes, depending on location, <laughs> exactly. and exactly. you've got the club. And then when you want to leave, you just text at least an hour beforehand, and uh, you can leave, exactly. and they'll come pick it up. It's great. It's it's great, and it's only you know <laughs> I'm looking at the club right now for forty six ninety nine, and our <laughs> service is only ten bucks every time. So. The greatest you, thing about the club... You'd have to drive four times in a month for it to not work. I don't... This is a... Uh, this is super weird. If you're not... If, if you were born post-2000, you probably don't know the club. But the funniest thing about the club is I always see the commercial for it. And, like, it doesn't, like, make your steering wheel not work at all. Like, that... <laughs> all it does is makes it, like, look really weird for you to be driving around with a giant club on your steering wheel. Like, you could easily steal a car and still... I know. Drive it out of the lot with that thing on there. It just looks really weird. It makes it really obvious that you stole the car. That's I think that was the only reason for it. But all right, this has been Club Chat. Um, Patreon slash Club Chat. Uh, if you want, <laughs> yeah, everyone weekly updates on the club and what mm-hmm. what the industry is. Uh, but uh, Brian is locked away. He doesn't like horror movies because um, he he has. Um, deep issues that we don't like to talk about on the air. So if you want to ask why Brian doesn't like horror movies, you can uh, message him on Twitter, I'm sure. But um, I don't believe we got to talk about Ari Aster's um, past movie, Hereditary, or his his directorial debut, feature-length debut, Hereditary, on the show. Did we? We did not. We Or no, or did we? Did we do a Hereditary? Gosh, this is where seven years start to... Yeah, no, I don't think so. If we did, we probably did it on the Patreon, because it was a limited yeah. release, 
was a Sundance hit in 2018, and uh, Tony Collette was yeah. one of the best performances of the year. My awesome. favorite performance was incredible yeah. in that movie. Olive loved it. Um, she yeah, heard Olive's, she heard Olive's on a roll lately. She went six years without ever barking, and now I think two Tony Collette, in a row. man. That's yeah, that was Tony <laughs> Collette. Gets her going. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was one of the most original films I'd seen um, in a while. Um, I've heard so much about this Ari Aster guy from so many people. Um, actually, this past week went back and, and researched his uh, short films that he did. And they're incredible. Um, this guy is the real deal. Um, he has one called Munchausen. Mm-hmm. That is um, my favorite of his. And it's it's kind of like a take on Toy Story about like a kid moving away, going to college, and like the mom having to deal with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, shot in kind of that same palette, like that Pixar um, color palette. It's all live action. It's not like animated or anything. But um Really well done. Fifteen minutes long. Go check that one out. Um, but so I, my my interest is really peaked on this guy. I, I'm all about up and coming directors, filmmakers, young filmmakers. Um, I've said for a long time on the show, you know, the past six seven years on the show that there just has not been a new generation of of directors. You know, we're still li- relying on the Steven Spielbergs and Ridley Scotts and all those guys to kind of uh, sell tickets, you know, um, the newer generation, uh, the Bo Burnham's, the Jordan Peele's certainly, um, Greta Gerwig and what she's got going on. Um, Ari Aster, Jamie, Damien Chazelle. Um, these guys are the next iteration of the Spielbergs, the Scorsese's, the Tarantino's, right. Um, and I, and Ari Aster is somebody who I have heard should be in that conversation, but I never really, saw that with hereditary. I thought it was a, a fantastic movie, but after going and doing some more research and seeing some of his other stuff and then seeing this, uh, I was floored by this movie. I thought it was, um, you know, at, uh, certainly at time it's not for everybody, right? It's weird. Um, this is definitely more on the art house side of things than mm-hmm. anything we'll probably ever review on the show. Um, so having that in Hawk mind, Shaw, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, a certain audience, uh, the the thing about this movie was, um, I mean, it does, it is for a limited, limited audience. I mean, they're not going, they're not trying to beat Avengers Endgame with this, right? In any sense of the imagination. And A24 really does a good job of letting artists to be artists. I mean, I, I it's got to be the, promoting that. Right. Well. And, and doing a good job of getting these movies out there and letting people know about them is, uh, I would, I would say that's the ideal imprint to, to work under these days. And, uh, man, this movie just felt like art, you know, from scene one to the end, it felt like Paul Thomas Anderson, or it felt like Stanley Kubrick, who was my, my main comparison for this. It's just, I kept yeah. having, I saw you tweet about that. Yeah. So I, I just, the aesthetic, I could not get out of my head how much this felt like Kubrick from, in all aspects of it. Um, the, the the way the camera moves, the music, the mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of it was on purpose. But do you know how many thousands, if not tens of thousands, of directors since The Shining have been trying to emulate and unsuccessfully emulate St- Stanley Kubrick, what he brought to the table, right, and what he was able to do? It's not easy, and certainly it's an it's you have to ha- be a genius, you know. Stanley Kubrick was a genius, like certified, so. 
this guy, I mean, some of these shots just absolutely melted my brain. Like mm-hmm. the shot when they're actually driving into the commune where the camera turns completely yes. over and like the road is on top of you and all that. I mean, this guy, he knows exactly what he's doing. He can, he knows how to move the camera. Um, the actual setting of the midsummer retreat was fantastically um, yes. designed, um, photographed. And I thought appealing the, in a weird way, you know, yeah, as it, even though it shouldn't be, it was, is what it was, it was appealing. Yeah. You know, it was such a, a beautiful place to be. And then kind of juxtaposed. Yeah. With it happened. was like appealing yet creepy at the same time. Yeah, exactly. It had this great feel to it, this Gothic beauty to it. Yep. Um, and I'm fascinated by the subject matter of this movie. I'm going to do a lot more research into this. You know, I'd heard, certainly heard about, you know, the May Queen and the Maypole and the whole tradition in the Scandinavian, uh, you know, the rune folklore and all that. Um, and this is, uh, it has shades of so many different films in it, you know, and we'll go through those. Um, and I want to hear your thoughts and kind of what this reminded you of, but I mean, to me, this is certainly not for everybody. I I can see why any average person would walk into this completely pissed off, completely felt like they got ripped off. Um, yep. I've but this is some text from people that that's how they felt. Yeah, um, it's not a horror movie by any means. It's a psychological thriller. More than that, um, it the word unsettling is is always the word I use to describe Stanley Kubrick because mm-hmm. it's all, every one of his movies. It's just uh, there's the ten- there's always tension, right? It's never always. you can never really settle into anything, and this felt that way from the beginning. Um, I mean, it's certainly not. Uh, I don't. I don't know if this movie will be to the level of any of Kubrick's movies. Were you know in ten years or like National Film Registry level of mm-hmm. films, but I think aesthetically and visually, this guy is the real deal, you know, and, and this is written and directed by him, you know? Um, so you got to admire that, but I was blown away just by the real auteur. Yeah. Totally, totally unique vision and concept and everything. And like I said, that does not come along every day at all. Um, so sign me up for, I would watch a bowl of cereal if it was filmed by Ari Aster. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I, this was the easiest two and a half. Did he shoot his own stuff too, like PTA? I don't think so. Okay. PTA does just to a certain extent, but yeah. I mean, even he has cinematographer. Um, sure. You know. Until um, Phantom Thread, but yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. Pa- Powell Pogorleski, looks like, did this. So. Yeah. Um, Interesting. His his sense of um, blocking is is incredible, though. Yeah. His eye is, is amazing. Go, you need to go watch those shorts. You'd really enjoy them. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I but, will. Uh, I will. They're worth your time. Um, but, yeah, this uh, this was about the I'm, – I'm serious. This was about the easiest two-and-a-half-hour watch I've ever wow, watched. Cool. I just did not – I mean, maybe for you it felt different, but this did not – I wasn't looking at my watch. I was super into it. Um, and, you know, certain movies especially – with blockbusters, we feel, you know, you know, when you hit hour two, like you could mm-hmm. physically feel when you hit hour two and you're going into that last 30, you know, it didn't feel like that to me at all. I, I, I thought the setup was so compelling and it was so well done that, you know, it's an hour in before there's an, any kind of murder or anything happening in the movie. Right. Um, but it's such a interesting setting and it's so outside the box in terms of things like you know i always think of the amish as this way too like i don't know why there isn't more 
done on the Amish, you know, because it's just such a interesting culture to me. I know that movie witness comes to mind as taking that, you know, a setting of the Amish and not really doing the Amish, but kind of showing that, um, this was, uh, this was pure art to me. And, and, you know, these movies don't get wide release anymore. So it's amazing that a two and a half hour movie like this is, is getting the buzz that it's getting, to be honest, because, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even know it was as long as it was until I, I saw, I did notice, I mean, but I'm really sensitive to that. You yeah. Know me. So I did notice that it was long, but, but less than I normally do to your point. Yeah. And, and the fact that that's not a huge part of the narrative, at least to me that I saw, um, it's a good thing, right? It pulls off, it carries its weight for sure. Yeah. I did see that going in and I just kept waiting. I was like, when is this going to feel like it were dragging on it's just okay get on with it already it never felt like that it, it, the, the pacing was so good they kept the tension high um the characters were interesting i really did enjoy all the characters um and figuring out kind of what their roles would be throughout but um yeah i thought this was a an absolute clinic and in, in terms of just creative vision but uh yeah overall thoughts from you and feel free to tear it apart if you hated it. But No, uh, no, I didn't. Side. I didn't. I had heard kind of conflicting things going in, so I went in really neutral on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I liked it as well, Ken. It was, it, but you and I are kind of Kubrick. Uh, definitely PTA fans, you and I. Yeah, definitely PTA fans. And definitely in those are so. Yeah, that yeah is, Brian does not under, Brian won't yeah. watch 2001. So you and yeah, I and, will. And, we would do an yeah. episode on that. But then, but also like, that's not a criticism of Brian anyway. Cause like, no. I don't, I don't like ET. Right. It's like, just, you yeah, know what I mean? It's like everyone's got can't connect with. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, so for me, it's like the Bratz movie and the Bratz franchise. Right. From the early two thousands. Can't connect with it there. at all. And yeah. Brian and I are huge bratters. Yeah. You know, we so go to the convention. It's always been tense. Well, we, we used to go to the conventions until we won't go into yeah. that, but, but, uh, but yeah, no. So for for me, this was uh, this was really interesting. I, yeah, I just I can really get lost, especially the older I get. I found it in just pure aesthetics. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I'm not as story driven as I used to be, and I can just go. This just looks so good, and so I can really obviously this this checks that box. But I found I found the story and plot to be really interesting as well. I think it ties on a lot of things like in the culture right now. This this. Um, kind of the doing things for the gram culture of right. going and experiencing things. That's a great horror setting or, or throw, however you want to categorize this. Right. You like know. a fire fest kind of a thing. Let's right. all go. Yeah. Things can go bad in mm-hmm. a setting like that. It obviously in real life, as we've seen in fire mm-hmm. fest, but also just, in, you know, it's a great setting for that because that's a huge part of, the, of, of youth culture now is going and, and doing those things, which is great. And by the way, it has been before. I mean, God, I mean, what's Woodstock, if not that. So, so um, I really like the, the the setup of this. I thought the music was fanta- fantastic. Um, oh man, like, this guy! Uh, yeah, the Haxon cloak dude, or whoever he, did it. Yeah, he. I mean, Ari Aster. And when you watch his shorts, you'll you'll see that too. I don't know if he is the same composer for all of his stuff, but like this guy knows how to use music and film. The oh. the uh, Munchausen is actually a silent movie, and it's only music. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and my girlfriend's in it. I saw. Oh yeah, yeah. Rachel Brosnahan. Yeah, well, you she have a lot. Know it, you have a lot. Alison Brie, multiple yeah. women that you. I'm, your wife. You know? I mean, it's it's complicated. Well, let's yeah. not go crazy about her. I mean, come yeah. on. Let's not. Uh, 
Um, no. You used to be ScarJo until this past weekend. But, um, no, now it's more. Now I like her more. No, oh, wow. Okay, we just kidding. lost I'm a kidding. lot of fans. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, no, I... But- <laughs> yeah, this guy totally understands yeah. that music, like, mm-hmm. just showing... Like, showing something on the screen with music for five minutes can be compelling. Sure. If done right, you know, and, and Kubrick is the king of that, you know, how, how much, how long is that sequence in, uh, in 2001, the, the final like wormhole sequence, mm-hmm. right? It's gotta be like seven minutes of just music and visuals. Right. And, but it all, you know, Works. too many directors get bogged down in the screenplay. I feel mm-hmm. like, and they don't think about setting a scene and creating a, a situation yeah. more than they think about, okay, the next line is this, next line is this, and everybody's saying their lines perfectly, and we're going to the next scene. And it really feels like this guy is creating more than just, like he's creating an entire experience more than he's creating a, you know, the parts of a whole. Does that make sense? Like he goes oh, in, totally he goes in to create like a world more than he's creating. All right, I'm gonna go write a screenplay and it's going to be about this. Like he, uh, I don't know how to describe it. He certainly, he conveys a feeling more than he conveys anything, you know? And, the, and I had a Twitter, I, I did, I put that on Twitter after I saw this today. I said that Ari Aster is the closest thing aesthetically that we might get to Kubrick. And I said, I think his potential might be higher than Kubrick. And I know yeah. a lot of people will roll their eyes at that. But why I say that is because Stanley Kubrick exclusively adapted screenplays from books. That was mm-hmm. his one thing. His his process was I read a book one time and I get a feeling and I never read the book again. And he doesn't, you know, when he's adapting the, the books to script, he doesn't like go page by page and say, how am I going to adapt this page into uh, two lines of dialogue, right? And just as some people might try to adapt a book, he would just kind of convey that feeling that the book gave him in the screenplay, which is why he's criticized for not being as accurate as he should be probably with mm-hmm. some of the properties Ari Aster is a completely original filmmaker and, and has the aesthetic um, and the eye of Kubrick and the musical ear of Kubrick. And he's 31. And uh, like, I just think Kubrick never won best picture or anything, right? Like he never was a commercial success in his time. I don't think Ari Aster really will be at all, but I do think like he, I think he said recently that he wants to do like a comedy Christmas movie next or something. Like he might be a guy that's just, a Chazelle kind of guy that's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to do La La Land and I'm going to do a movie about Neil Armstrong next. Yeah. So it's, they're both going to be good in different ways, right? Um, yeah, totally. I hope that he's this, but man, if he's like Jordan Peele and and uh, just keeps kind of doing these thriller, Hitchcockian throwback kinds of mm-hmm. movies, I'm that's all for too. that, man. I've said too on the show, and you guys have said that's a lost art form, man. They just don't really make is. movies like that anymore. And this feels like that. Mm-hmm. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. And and uh, so I want to talk about a little bit more. The, I thought the performances in this were really above what one would normally see. So I think he, you know, he knows how to write and direct for actors. He's not just a a purely uh, aesthetic director. Yeah, I yeah, that's Before, accurate too. You, you know, yeah, and that's a rare thing to have that all those tools. He's kind of like mm-hmm. a five tool player in baseball or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florence Pugh is really good in this. Jack Rayner's awesome in this. Uh, Will Poulter always is creepy and yeah. good. You know, um, so the fact that he can really work with with this actor and make it a realistic setting for all of that 
um, I just think is 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 really makes him an interesting person going forward, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I love the character design. Uh, you know, on the I don't know what it was, like a deformity or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that was I don't know what that was, but I guess it was used very effectively on this. Um, but you know, in terms of conveying a feeling, I think he. Ari Aster completely nails it. I got a comment on Twitter when I put that out there that I think he that he has more potential than than Kubrick because um, because of that extra ounce of creativity. And somebody tweeted me back and said, "I saw Hereditary. It was the worst movie I've ever seen. It's the only movie I've ever gotten a refund for. And I used to work at Blockbuster. I'm 55 years old, something like that. Yeah. And I replied and said. Sounds like the director did his job if you feel that vehemently against it, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody goes to the movies expecting to be uh, uplifted or filled with comedy or joy, and they don't understand that the feeling that they're getting of uncomfortableness is a feeling that a director can give you. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. if that they, they automatically assume that if they're uncomfortable, that what they're seeing is bad. Totally. <laughs> but totally. It, it, it's um, it wouldn't make you uncomfortable if it was bad. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. it wouldn't do its job in affecting how you feel. And I think Ari Aster, I don't think he endorses anything that happens in the movie. Right? It's not like, but I, he knows how it makes people feel. The the um, seeing people get their heads smashed in right um, mm-hmm. multiple times and it is certainly visceral, and it gives you a feeling that. When else are you going to get that feeling unless you see that, right? And certainly nobody sees that on their average day. So it is, um, I think that's, he, he's just controlling. He's just playing with the audience, you know? It's like he's Absolutely. playing an orchestra and playing with our emotions in every way. Um, but um, what did you think about kind of how this movie played out? I thought, I found it a bit predictable, um, yes. to be quite honest, in terms of how, who, what was going to happen at the end, who was going to die, how it was going to go down. I mean, they, I think he gives that away on purpose and with, uh, through the paintings and the artwork mm-hmm. in the commune. I really enjoyed that. Um, I forgot the artist's name. I did see the art. Uh, one artist did all that art. And, oh, really? Uh, researched I researched it. That. Yeah. Forgot his name, but he's very talented. And, um, yeah. So there's several times throughout the film where they'll show things on the wall that certainly are foreshadowing events in the film. And uh, none other than that giant mural thing that shows literally yeah. scene by scene what happens in the movie um, as their friend who le- who who takes them there. I forgot his name. The uh, actual scant Swedish guy who mm-hmm. brings them there. Um, he's like, uh, oh, let's go around Pell? this way. What is it? Is it was it Pell? I, or, I honestly yeah, don't remember. Was, yeah. um, the only Swedish friend. Let's just say that. The one that the one that uh, basically got them into this mess. Mm-hmm. He he uh, he's like, let oh, me show yeah, you the one whose house it's at. It's like yeah, he's like, let me show you around this place. So here's yeah. where our uh, here's where our you know don't go in this room kind of thing. And then right when they're about to walk by that mural, he turns them around. He's like, let's go to the sleeping quarters, right? Because he didn't want mm-hmm. them to see, I guess, the ritual on that wall. You know, mm-hmm. um, it it was very obvious to me that this was going to be a ritual. Some kind of sacrifices were going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that they had taken her there for a reason to become their leader, um, to, imp- to imp- for him to impregnate the women. I, I totally 
fores- foresaw that coming and happening, but I thought the execution was pretty stellar mm-hmm. um, for the most part. I completely agree. I think uh, I think in that I think that that foreshadowing is fine. I didn't find it to be. Yeah, super it's you, can, you don't have to. It doesn't necessarily mean you ruin a movie by by foreshadowing things that you're like, oh, I can't wait for it. You know, almost gives you anticipation. Mm-hmm. No, and I think we we have come to conflate really interesting thrillers with the with how many twists they have. That's doesn't have to right. be how it is. Yeah, certainly you can you could lay the cards out there and and still and still works. Um, yeah, Jack Rayner. I hadn't seen him in anything except for. Age of Extinction, maybe mm. one of those. So you know one of good. the last awful. It was the one where Mark Wahlberg is the is the um, uh, uh, inventor from Texas, yeah. right? Age and of then yeah. and then um, Jack Rayner is trying to get with his daughter. Yep. And they had that whole scene about how it would be okay in Texas, and she's seventeen, right? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of really. You really know, like kind of hard hitting, normal, yeah, not creepy at all stuff. Yeah, yeah that, no, that, okay. you definitely want the Me Too era too, like right in the mm-hmm. middle of it too. Well, I mean, keep in mind that film was made in nineteen. Uh, no, she was seventeen, and it's oh, in Texas, wait, no, no, so it's no, okay. It's okay. She's seventeen, oh, wait, and we're in Texas, so it's legal. Like they had to have a scene in the movie to point that out, so that <laughs> I love that. Go back and listen to our review of that uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell any actor's um, potential. In those kinds of films, I thought he was a bro, but uh, I mean, I thought he did, did a really good job here. Um, William Jackson Harper was great too. Um, I had not heard of this guy. He's from Dallas, so shout out. Um, I, what else would I have seen him in? Oh, Patterson, yeah, yeah. Patterson is uh, worth checking out. That's another Pattinson, Robert. Uh, I mean, not uh, Robert Pattinson. It's a uh, Adam Driver is a oh, okay. is that one. So check that one out, Patterson. Um. Yeah, this guy is, is stellar. I, I maybe the only plot line I didn't really. I don't know. If I, maybe an eye roll was the Jack Rainier, William Jackson Harper. This is my thesis. You know, mm-hmm. what did you think of that? No. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, Jack Rainier could have been it was there, kind or of Christian like British was his costume name. drama. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Rainier could have been yeah. there. And been like weirded out by all this, and like, no, I don't want to impregnate your queen, kind of thing. And it would have been the same performance and movie, you know. Like, I don't know why he had to have this ambition to do a thesis, you know. I maybe is he was more focused on that than he was on her. So mm-hmm. she turns her back on him by sacrificing him at the end, right? I guess that's yeah. what it's all building up to, right? That's probably yeah. why. They had that plot line now that I'm talking it out, but I just felt like his reactions to this world was, was his character, you know? And, um, Florence Pugh, um, she's great. She, uh, Danny, she really kind of falls for this, you know, Mm -hmm. she's skeptical at first, but as soon as they're doing the dance, she's like into it. Right. She's like, Oh, this is kind of awesome. And then they make her the queen and, that uh, all hell breaks loose, so to speak. But um, what did you find the most disturbing part of this movie? Oh, man. Um, I just, <laughs> you know, for me, it's just Europe. <laughs> no. Um, Scandinavia. Yeah, no, the Blood Eagle part was kind of 
creepy that with like the paralyzed yeah. and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, the lung thing. Yeah. yeah, that was that got to me a little bit. Um trying to think what else. The, the people jumping off the cliffs, the smashing yeah. the heads, yeah. the the guy um gets knocked out and he's like on the ground going <gasps> that that yeah. I hated that. Yeah, Ooh, that's that so noise slow. he was making when he was dying like yeah. I can't. Ooh, that was too too real. <laughs> But I mean, effective though. And the That's way Danny about. turns, I mean, we'll go into spoilers here in a second. But the way that that completes at the end is really chilling as well. Oh, I think it's, I think it's really good. I no, it I, is, but it was really disturbing. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, what did you think? I, 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 I really liked when the commune people started to mimic her voice mm-hmm. and feelings. I thought that was really an effective on cinema. Uh, mm-hmm. archetype. I mean, we've seen the same thing used in anima very recently, you know, kind of yeah. all these people in sync kind of thing. Uh, that was when all of them that were kind of seizuring together or reacting. I thought those sequences were really effective to, um, into, uh, that this is really a spiritual awakening that this place is, you know, it's really these people. And they're the only people that are, fish out of water are the people that come right. Everybody else is completely in on this. You know, there's no one from the outside in this world except for them. You know, they really feel isolated in this world. Um, like I always felt like uh, a twist that was going to come in this movie. Maybe you felt like this, uh, was one of the commune meat people was going to be normal and not going to be brainwashed and was going to like turn at the end, you know, I never really, that didn't happen though. But, um, not, so that was a twist that I really thought I saw coming and then didn't. There was kind of a, a lack of that there. So that's a good thing, I guess. Or I thought the son uh, guy was going to end up saving them at the end yeah. or, or snapping out of it, so to speak, you know, and uh, that that would have been effective, too. But I think, like you said, I think the way they end this thing and. In a very Birdman kind of way, you know, yeah. and just a triumphant kind of she takes over. And empower self empowerment is fulfilled, and her past of her family being murdered is sort of erased, and she realizes her true meaning in life, or whatever, or at least that's how she feels. Either that, or gosh, it feels good to get revenge on this douchebag who mm-hmm. I saw getting with like all these old women, you know? Uh, you know, it's got both of that, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. It yeah, felt like a painting kept, at the end or something. It was like yeah, this big kind of the way she cries and then starts laughing yeah. right out is with all cool. the covered in like the flowers and the whole it photographed yep. very well. It yep. was it was awesome. Um so I guess let's kind of wrap up our, our overall yeah. thoughts on this. What do you hope um Ari does next um after this? Like you, I'm here for whatever he does. Um you know, I don't really care if he does a Christmas comedy or anything like that. I, I would I would be interested in more original kind of um shocking, you know, thrillers. I mm-hmm. think if you're if you can do that then then keep doing it. Yeah. Um I, I hope I, you know, he's only made a couple big big ones like this. I'd I like two or three more before he, you know, maybe goes down a different path. But yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really, I'm with you. I I think he's a really I, I, I the Chiselle could uh J- Damien Chazelle comparison is interesting because it's like the person that can kind of just do, just knows how to make a movie, and what yeah. that movie is is kind of irrelevant. It's just, yeah, I think Ari's a a, a um, USC guy too, okay. and uh, actually, the AFI 
um, okay. AFI Conservatory, uh, alma mater. But these are guys that like know the language of movies, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they've, yeah, they are like, no. he's, he's my age too, 1986. Um, wow. Actually, your age, Richard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, this is a guy I'm, I'm definitely circling on my, you know, I guess uh, most anticipated movies. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely keep him. Keep him in mind for sure. I really enjoyed, um, really enjoyed this. I think the biggest disadvantage he has is he, he it's unavoidable for him to be compared to anyone else, you know, because mm-hmm. it's such a, it's so hard to do anything new in horror because it's you can do anything. You can get as weird as you want. And you can take it, play it as straight as you want, and so it's really hard to stand out, right? There's a lot of weird B horror movies that are outside the box like this, but they just don't they don't land unless you really have talent and uh, this guy does. So it's hard to stand out. Like, like how many, how many of these movies come out every year, right? Eight, nine, 10 of these, like every other month there's some, uh, I don't know what the what's what's the one we saw the preview for this hide and seek movie or whatever. Um, it's called um, ready or not here. I come or something like that. There, these are dime a dozen. So it's rare that one comes along. That is good. And uh, this one definitely was, in my opinion. Um, let's grade this one out, man. Yeah, Midsummer. Oh man, this is a, this is one of my top top of the year so far. Nice. Um, just in terms of a movie, like this is a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give it an A, man. Um, I certainly had issues with it, but I think that takes it from A plus. Otherwise, it would have been an A plus to me. Um, feels a little bit cliche, a little bit like a, you know a teen breakup movie in a way um, a little bit predictable, but I thought it's so it's executed so well that it overcomes all of that. A for me. What about you? Yep. I'm going to go a minus. So just slightly below yep. you, but, but in the same wheelhouse, the, the predictability, predictability was a little, you know, jarring for me. And, and the, the, some of the, the, it's just how tough it is and things like that. But I, I think it's a real, a really, really talented director and a really good f- film. So I'm excited to see more, but yeah, a minus for me. Here's an idea for you, and we'll close on this. Um, Brian um, is is kind of neck and neck with you in the uh, the old movie draft uh, types of things. I needed I needed um, I needed Lion King to be better than it apparently is in terms of Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm yeah. kind of well, no, you've lot. got you've still got uh, what the Joker, yeah. and the Frozen, don't you? When do you all have Frozen? Uh, yeah, I don't even know. I, I have a Google Doc. You got that? What's in Upon a Time in Hollywood still? That could do yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Brian had uh, Hellboy and Godzilla, so I think he might be out of it based on those those who picks. But what yeah, I was saying... Yeah, we had Toy Story, which was... Ki- just ki- I needed Lion yeah. King to match Toy Story, and that's oh, what really? happened. Yeah. Well, maybe if Rotten Tomatoes is good for those other ones you yeah. have and... They all three might do as well as Toy Story does, right? Uh, in terms Maybe. of money. Okay, so um, here's an idea: if Brian does lose the, lose, uh, the movie draft, let's yeah, just make one. him watch Hereditary and Midsummer back to back, and do a do a live, and we'll sit there and we'll we'll we will like uh, have one of those devices where you know from uh, Clockwork Orange where <laughs> you can't close your eyes, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pri- he's prying on his head. Like, eyelids yeah. open. <laughs> it's just like watching both of these. Are kind of, uh, uh, man, Hereditary would absolutely destroy him. I would love yeah, would. to see that and uh, <laughs> for to, for that to be his uh, his recording on his um, his punishment quote unquote episode for losing the movie draft. All right, uh, 
time to get out of here. If you want more from us, where we have a Stuber episode that Brian's recording this week. Uh, in the VIP, we're talking Gremlins um, in honor of its anniversary. And uh, we've also got a, an episode on Stranger Things 3 that just came out, a little bonus episode on the main feed. But uh, if you want more bonus content from us, we've got an AMA coming up here in about the next week for the VIP. So get those questions in and join us over at madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP for all those episodes. Um, but everything else we do is madaboutmoviespodcast.com and every episode we've ever done is available there. Uh, Richard, where can I find you, man? You can find me on all the social media at Richard Barden, B-A-R-D-O-N. You can find me on the Mad About Movies uh, podcast.com website or the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter. Kent, where can I find you? You can find me at Kent Garrison on Twitter and um, find us on Twitter at Mad About Movies. Definitely don't uh, hesitate to reach out to us. And uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, which may or may not be uh, played back on the show, you can do that at 214-308-1308. Don't worry. I'm not going to pick up the phone and go straight to voicemail. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, all you do is call that and record a voicemail, and we can play it back on the show sometime. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. Tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.